0: Job chapter number one, and verse number one. The Bible said there was a man that lived in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she asses and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And so it was when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Father, I pray this morning you'd bless the reading of thy word. God, you know this morning the only reason I'm preaching this sermon is because you told me to. And I pray that you will help us this morning. I pray that you would let not the familiarity of the text or the message take away from what you want to do. God, I ask you to bless us this morning. May you be glorified. We do not want to magnify this flesh in any way. God, hide us behind the cross. And may we not see man, but may we see you this morning. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach this morning on the importance of praying for your children the importance of praying for your children. And I would say this morning that doesn't matter how many times we have heard the subject or the thought, whether it be by me or by another preacher, we all this morning from the pulpit to the pew need to be reminded of this subject. You might even be here this morning and say, well, preacher, I don't even have any children, so this message would not be for me. I would say to you, if you don't have children, or maybe you're a teenager, you're not even of age to have children right now, you ought to have a burden for somebody else's children. Isn't that right? Just because you don't have children doesn't mean that you cannot carry a burden and does not mean you should not have a burden for others, young people that need help in this day and time. I think if a parent would appreciate appreciate anything, they would appreciate the prayers of other people who would pray for thee as they raise their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. When we come to this text this morning, I want you to see three things about Job in this text this morning. First of all, in verse number one, I want you to notice here that Job, the Bible says, he was a perfect man. The Bible said he was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, I want you to think about Job. The Bible said he was a perfect man. That does not mean that Job was sinless. It means that he'd reached full maturity in his Christian life. And when you think about that, how could a man with no Bible, Job being the oldest book of the Bible, no church to go to and no pastor, how could that man be a perfectly mature man? How could he be a perfectly mature Christian if he didn't have a Bible, he didn't have a church, and he didn't have a pastor, amen? I think we would all agree this morning, we know people that have all three, but yet they aren't moving anywhere forward in their Christian life. So how could Job be that man? The answer is in verse number one, when the Bible says that he feared God, and he eschewed evil. Amen? Now, I'm not preaching on that this morning, but let me stop and say this. If you want to be a perfectly mature Christian, follow those two principles in your life. Number one, fear God, and number two, stay away from evil. Somebody say amen right there. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Amen? I think that one of the reasons why we lack the power of God in our churches to is because people are not living clean lives, amen? They're not living separated and consecrated and dedicated to the cause of Christ, amen? And if God ever told you something was wrong one time, I promise you he's never changed his mind about that. Somebody say amen right there. And so the Bible said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we see here that he was a perfect man. And we think about Job in this text here. uh, God knew the very very place of Job as he said that he lived in the land of us amen now I don't know where us was and you don't neither but God knew exactly where us was isn't that right I'm glad if God knew Job's address somebody say amen I'm glad he knows my address and he knows your address amen and to Job that is very important for what he's about to face amen and God knows where I live and he knows where you live not just physically but he knows where we live spiritually amen And so he knew his place, and then he knew his person. The Bible said in verse number one that there was a man who lived in the land of us whose name was Job. Amen? I'm glad God knew Job's name. Amen? If God knew his name, then that means he knows my name. If he knew where he lived and knew who he was, then he knows where I live and he knows who I am. Amen? I'm not a statistic in heaven, and neither are you, by the way, but God knows us on an individual basis. I like what the songwriter said, uh, I said, I know him, but best of all, uh, he knows me. Amen. I'm telling you, I know the president, but the president doesn't know me. There's a lot of people I know that do not know me, but I'm glad I know the creator of the universe uh, and he knows who I am. Amen. And so he knew his place. He knew his person. And then he knew his priorities. Amen. Look what the Bible says here. He was perfect and upright. One that feared God and a shoot evil. Now when you know the priorities of an individual, you know that individual very well. I want to tell you there are people we meet and we know a lifetime, but we never know what their priorities are in life. God knew Job's priorities. He knew his person. He knew his place. I want to tell you, nothing could be more complimentary. Nothing could be said any greater about a man than for God Himself to say he was perfect, he was upright, he feared God, and he eschewed evil. I want to tell you this morning if Job can do that without a Bible, without a church, without a pastor, don't tell me in 2019 that God's people can't still live a clean life, a godly life. I'm telling you, listen, we are to live to full maturity. I don't want to be some weak, anemic Christian. Amen. I don't want to just do enough to get by. I'm not everything I want to be and what everybody thinks I ought to be, but I want to be more today for God than I was yesterday. I want to draw closer to him, and the closer we get to the end, I want to grow stronger in spirit, though I may grow weaker in body. I want to grow grow stronger spiritually in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Job was a perfect man, and then Job was a prosperous man. God had blessed his faith in verse number one. Then in verse number two, he had prospered his family, three sons and our three daughters and seven sons. And then he had prospered him financially. The Bible said 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she asses. and a very great household. God had prospered, Job. He was a perfect man. He was a praying man. And don't miss this. God had blessed his faith in verse one, his family in verse two, and his finances in verse three. Yes, yes. I want to tell you that's always God's order. That's right. A lot of people want to put their finances above their family or their finances above their faith. If you are more wrapped up into your finances than you are your spiritual life, I promise you, you're gonna spend your entire life chasing a dollar, never gaining what you really are supposed to have. And if you do get it, I promise you this, you'll be more miserable in the end than you would have if you would never had a pity, amen? Some of the happiest people I've ever met in life were broke people that didn't have two nickels rubbed to rub together, but they was full in spirit, full of God, and they was full of my freedom, their salvation. I'm not talking about going to heaven, I'm talking about the the fullness of salvation, experiencing the joy of that salvation. And because of that, they were spiritually blessed beyond what riches and money could ever buy. The things of this world never satisfy. They only bring more stress to our life. And Job had been blessed. He was a perfect man, he was a prosperous man, but in verse five, he's a praying man. The Bible tells us in verse number five that it was so that when the days of their feasting were going about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them offered. Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job is praying in verse number five, but he's not just praying, but he's praying for his children. He's carrying a burden for his children. I think if there's anything that or anyone that we ought to pray for, we ought to pray for our children. It don't matter if they're grown or gone or if they're still at home this morning. Every one of us ought to have a burden for our children. You're never too young to pray for your children and you're never too old to pray for your children and they're never too young to be prayed for it and they're never too old to be prayed for. I don't care if you're 95 and they're 75, you ought to pray for them, amen? If God gave them to you, pray as long as you have breath, amen, and make sure you live right so you can get a prayer through for your children, amen? Your children need your prayer and you young people need to pray for your parents, amen? I'm just simply. saying this morning, it's important that we carry a burden for our own family. The devil has launched an all-out attack and our churches will never be more spiritual than our homes. Amen? And I tell you, as men, we ought to lead the way in praying for our children and as women, you ought to strengthen that by standing with your husband in prayer, praying together, praying for each other, carrying the burden for them. I'm talking about it's important that we pray for our children. Now, why is it something so important? People don't do that much. I want to say because of what it involves. This morning in verse number five, there's four things that praying for your children involve and I want to give them to you and I'll be through. Number one, I want you to see that praying for your children involves sanctification. The Bible says it was so that when the days of their feasting were going about that Job sent and he sanctified them. The word sanctified means to set apart. This morning when you think about this, how do you set your children apart in prayer? How do you sanctify your children in prayer? I'm going to tell you how you do that this morning by praying specifically for your children. I don't care if you have one child or you have three children or five children, it doesn't matter. Or if you have seven children, all of them are different individuals. Isn't that right? They're not the same, they they have different will, they have different ambitions, they have different minds, they don't think the same. And so, you and I, when we pray for them, we're not to generalize that prayer. In other words, we're not just to say, now God bless all my children, be with all my children. There's nothing wrong with praying that way. But if you really are gonna pray for them, you're gonna have to pray specifically, amen? You're gonna have to sanctify them in prayer. Set that person, set that child apart in prayer. Then set that other child apart in prayer. Individually, call their name out and pray for them according to their needs. I, I would say this morning you ought to pray for their salvation, amen? Pray that God would save them at a young age. If they are not at a young age, pray that God will save them now. But never quit praying for their salvation. And I don't care if they make a profession, you pray till you get the assurance of their salvation, amen? Pray till God puts it in your heart. Pray that God settles it in your soul. I'm telling you, listen, uh, listen. it doesn't matter uh, where your children are at in life. It doesn't matter, how, listen, if everything looks good on the outside, you you pray for their salvation until God gives you the blessed assurance that they are saved by the grace of God. But oftentimes, here's what happens. When our children get saved, we brush our brow oftentimes and we say, well, I'm glad that's over with. But I'm gonna tell you something, friend. The battle don't end when they get saved. The battle just begins. If you think there was a battle before, there's a greater battle afterwards. And you ought to pray for their salvation, but you ought to pray for their spirituality. I don't care if they're 50 years old. You ought to have a desire to see your children grow stronger spiritually. I never wanted my children to have mama's faith or daddy's faith. I didn't want them to be latched on to the church and nothing. I mean, I believe in being latched on to the church. You know what I'm talking about, but I didn't want the church to be their God. I didn't want this church to be their God. I didn't want daddy to be their God or mother to be their God. I didn't want it to be daddy's religion or, or, or mama's religion. I wanted it to be something real in their soul, real in their heart. I want them to be able to find God for themselves and, and we would pray that God let them grow in the, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. Let them grow spiritually. Let them have their own faith and be strong in faith. Let them know just to follow people and follow everything that goes along. I I wanted them to have to learn to get in the Bible for themselves and pray for themselves and and be strong in the Lord and realize that you're going to have to trust God for yourself and you're going to have to have your own personal devotion and you're going to have to memorize scripture, not just because mom and dad tells you so, but because uh, you need God and you need God in your life and and he has to be real to you. Thank God for a good mother and a good father and you ought to pray for them every day. I'm telling you, you need something. deeper than mom and dad's religion, amen? And you ought to serve God to please them, but even more so, you ought to serve God because it pleases him, amen? That way if mom and dad passes off the scene, you don't go haywire and just dump all your convictions and quit doing what you're doing. It needs to be real to you, amen? I'll tell you, young person, if it's real to you, it'll be pleasing to mom and dad if they're right with God. Parents, we ought to pray for their spirituality we ought to pray that they'll be people of conviction. Isn't that right? I mean, listen, you ought to teach your children principles and convictions and why to do these things and why these things are right. But listen, you ought to not just say, there was a time in their life when I was saying, you're gonna do that because we said so. Because they wouldn't understand that. But then there came a time when we sat down and said, now here's why we told you to do this. Here's why God, this is what God said. Here's the chapter, here's the verse, or here's the principle. No, it's not in black and white, but do you see that principle? And we would take that principle and say, here's the principle. Preacher, the Bible said train up a child. we will tell you what training involves. A lot of time, a lot of effort. You take someone that runs a marathon. They don't eat a cheeseburger every Sunday or every day and then go out there and run a marathon. Is that Right. I mean, if they do, they're going to have a massive heart attack. Although I've seen a few guys on bicycles today. It looked like they'd ate quite a few. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I live in Chickamauga and it drives me nuts twice a year. Yeah. Amen. But I'm telling you, uh, you, you don't, you don't, you don't drink a milkshake and eat a cheeseburger every day and sit around on the couch and wait for the marathon. No, you got to train. You got, you got to put in the effort. You got there's sweat, there's time. There sometimes the flesh don't want to do it, but you got to do it anyway. I'm gonna tell you something. That's the way it is with your chi- uh, your children. You can't drag them to an old fashioned uh, King James Bible believing church every Sunday and expect Sunday school and preaching to do the job. You got to take time to train them at home. You got to instill the Word of God in them. You got to pray with them around the altar. You got to memorize scripture with them. you got to put principles in their life and you got to keep things out that don't need to be in their life. I'm talking about praying for their spirituality. I'm talking about sanctify them in prayer. Salvation, spirituality. You ought to pray for their safety. We live in a day of perverts, don't we? We live in a day when it's sad for what I'm about to say, but you can't even trust people in church anymore. It doesn't mean that I go around doubting everybody in this church, but I'm telling you, God gave you those children. You better keep them in your care until they're grown. Don't let them run around the church like a bunch of yard apes. Somebody say amen. Know where they're at. Teach them it's the house of God. Teach them to take care of the house of God. I know they got a lot of energy, but if you'll whip them, some of that energy will get out of them. Amen. Isn't that right? That's what a ball field is for. That's what that's what getting out in the backyard and playing is. But when they come to church, you gotta teach them. Know where they're at at all times, amen? Don't let them wander off of the Sunday school wing somewhere. In fact, while I'm on that, let me just say this. If you're a young person, if it ain't Sunday school, stay out of there, somebody say amen. Isn't that right? I'm telling you, you don't need to be off in a room by yourself or with anybody else. Somebody say Amen. If something gets broken, you're gonna get blamed. I promise you that. Amen. And so listen, you don't never know who else might be in them lurking in them hallways and in them. You say you're trying to scare them. No, I'm trying to warn them. We live in that kind of sick day, amen, when you gotta have cameras everywhere because you can't trust anybody about anything. And we ought to pray for the safety of our children. You know what's important? Because even at your very best, when your back is turned, you never know. What could happen to one of your children? Pray for their safety. Pray for their spirituality. You ought to pray for their service. There's Listen, there's nothing wrong with going to college and getting a good education. Nothing wrong with being a doctor or a lawyer or any of those things. But I'm afraid in the last 15 to 20 years, we have so pumped that into the minds of our young people in this society that parents would rather them have a good education as to spend their life serving God. Brother, we need missionaries. We need evangelists. We need some people that'll get out and preach the gospel. We need some preacher wives. We need some housewives. Somebody say amen. Isn't that right? We need all kinds of things like that. And that's not failure, that's, that's, that's doing what the Bible says. That, that's wonderful, that's great. And, and I'll tell you, I, as a parent, I pray, God, let my children, whatever capacity, I don't know what your will is for their life, but Lord, I pray that my children will serve you all the days of their life, that, that they'll live for God, that they'll not just go to church and warm a pew, but that they'll do something in their church. They don't have to have a title, they don't have to have a trophy, they don't have to have a paycheck, but dear God, I just want them to serve you. I don't want them to get out of church. I don't want them to go to the world I want them to live for you and I realize they could do that as much today as ever but I still pray that Lord let them stay in in your service let them serve you for the honor and the glory of God I didn't listen to a lot of people when my children were growing up I listened to my pastor I listened to my pastor's wife I didn't listen to a lot of people because the things they would tell me about my children I just said well that's not really lining up with the book and I just smiled and went on I didn't say say that to them, but I knew what God put in my heart. You'll pray for their service. You ought to pray that God will keep them from sin and Satan all the days of their life. Pray that God will keep them from sin and Satan. You see, the Bible says that the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I'm going to tell you, he does it in a church. He does it in a home. He walks around that church. He walks around that home and he's looking for that weakest link. Amen? Sometimes you can have a mass exodus in a church and a lot of people leave, but I'm gonna tell you how you lose most people in most churches. You lose them one person at a time or one family unit at a time because the devil, he's constantly walking around looking for who's weak, who's upside down, who's not where they need to be at with God, and he does the same thing in our home. He'll find that child that is struggling the most and the devil, listen, the devil will sit back and study your children. I'll tell you something the Holy Spirit always kept in my heart. He'd be ashamed the devil to know more about my kids than for me. It'd be a shame for Satan to have a greater concern for which way my children go than for me. Oh, I can't tell you the times when my flesh didn't want to pray, God would say, hey, you better pray for your kids. The devil's watching your children. You better watch and pray for them. I'm talking about praying for their, that God will keep them from sin and got to keep them from satan pray for their spouse you know my grandchildren i'm praying today that they marry in the will of god they're all still in diapers at least i think they are amen i don't know but i'll tell you this much who they marry ultimately determines what kind of a christian they're going to be you can put the standards and the convictions and you ought to you can raise them right but i'm telling you i've seen Parents who I knew they did right. I know they weren't perfect. They didn't do everything perfect. None of us would say that. But I knew they prayed for their kids. I knew they raised their children right. I knew they had a burden for them. I knew they had convictions. They had standards. They taught them the word of God. But children are not robots. Somebody say Amen. They do what, when they become of age, they're going to do what they want to do. They're gonna, If they don't surrender their will to God's will, they're going their way, and it doesn't matter what mom or dad says. And even if they do what seems like right on the outside, it'll still be in their heart, which is just as bad, amen? And so you have to pray for them. God, let them marry the right person. Now, I'll say this, it always gets me in trouble when I say it in other churches, but I don't think it'd get me in trouble right here, amen? At least I hope it wouldn't, but I didn't raise my children Southern Baptists, so I'd tell them, i said, say, now don't you marry a Southern Baptist boy. Somebody say amen. Amen. I'm not against the Southern Baptists, but I, I know some good godly people preaching Southern Baptist churches, but I didn't raise them Southern Baptists. I didn't raise them Methodists. Somebody say, Amen. I, I tell them, I say, Listen, don't you marry some Methodist. I don't, care. I don't care if he can sing like a mockingbird and he's got sugar running out both sides of his mouth. Listen, you don't have nothing to do with him if he's a Methodist. Come on now because I raised them, old-timey, independent, Bible-believing, 1611, King James, missionary-minded, shouting baptist, amen? I said, that's who you marry in life. You say, well, that's just too narrow for me. Well, it might be for you, friend, but listen, I only had one shot at raising my children, and who they marry would determine which route they would go, and I I prayed that. I said, God, let them marry in the will of God. Sanctification. And then let me say this this morning. It involves not only sanctification, but it involves sacrifice. The Bible said he rose up early in the morning and he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job sacrifices two things in this text. He sacrifices first his time. He rose up early in the morning and then he sacrificed his treasures. He offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. When you think about that, Job had a path that led from his house to the to the barn, and then a path that led from the barn to the to the altar. And you think about the sacrifice that was involved as Job would go out to that barn, and he would get that animal out of that barn, and then he would take it to that altar. And Job had to, to, to had get the wood and gather the wood together and put it around that altar, and then slit that animal's throat and drain out the blood, and then quarter that animal out, and then put it on top of that altar and pour that blood out on the altar and then light that fire and then after that that fire had, had consumed the sacrifice, he would clean the ashes off and then Job would go back and he would get another animal and he would take it and put it on the altar. Job didn't just put one animal, but Job put one for every one of his children. He offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. I think one of the reasons God was blessing Job in verse number three was because of what he was doing with those animals in verse number five. Every time Job would get one out of the barn, I think God would put two back in the barn because you can't out give God. Isn't that right? And I'm telling you, Job was making a sacrifice and God was a blessing. That sacrifice uh, just fine. Uh, Not only financially, but God was blessing his faith as he prayed for his children. You got to get up in the morning time. Got to call their name out in prayer. You got to take the time to pray for them. And I'm not shaming anybody that prays in the afternoon, but what motivated me to pray in the morning time was no telling what may happen in the day. I think when Job heard the news about his children being dead, he was probably glad for one thing, if anything, that that morning he rose up early and he prayed for them. You don't know what they're gonna face. You don't know what the devil is gonna put in their pathway. You ought to sacrifice. It involves sacrifice, praying. I tell you, as a preacher this morning, I would not want to spend my days ministering to people week in and week out and have not prayed for my own kids. I'm not telling you this morning that that all my praying is done the way that it ought to be done. I'm just telling you this morning, when I open my eyes, I know that there is a responsibility that is even greater than the responsibility of the ministry of this church. It's a responsibility to pray for those that God has brought into my family. Amen. All this morning, you ought to pray for their sanctification. You ought, it involves sanctification. It involves sacrifice. And then it involves sobriety. Think about this this morning. The Bible said that Job said this. Look what Job said in verse 5. It may be that my sons have sinned. He didn't say that they had sinned. But he said it may be that they have sinned. Now watch this. And curse God. Notice where he said. In their hearts. You know what Job did? He faces faces the sobering fact that there is a part in my children's life that I cannot see. That's their heart. Everything may look good on the outside. What's going on on the inside? Job was putting them animals on that sacrifice for what he couldn't see, not what he could see. If I've seen anything as a pastor, it would be this, that oftentimes we take for granted that our children are just doing well. In fact, I would even go as far as to say this. We've got a lot of teenagers here, and thank God for all of them. I'm glad we've got some good young people, amen? And I'm not demonizing you when I make this statement. But I would say to every parent, there's one advice I could give you this morning, do not pride yourself in what your children are doing. Amen. Thank God you young people are doing good. But you don't know what's going on in their hearts. If there's something in your heart this morning you're struggling with, God will help you. I've seen it too many times as a pastor. People get prideful about how well their children, you hear how quiet it is right now? I'm gonna tell you why. We all preach on worldliness. I'm 100% against it. I'm 100% against Phariseeism and pride too. I've watched preachers who raised their children and thought, boy, they're just going to be the next Billy Sunday. They're not even in church today. They're gone. They're out. And I would see that and I would say to myself, oh God, if their kids didn't make it, if their children didn't make it, Lord, the only way my kids are going to make it It's by your grace and by your help. Lord, they'll tell me what I ask them. They'll tell me what what I need to hear. But God, what's going on inside? What's in the secret places? I don't know that Job's children sinned, and you don't neither. And we ought to not make an accusation that they did, for Job didn't even know if they had ever done anything the day of their feasting would have been their birthday. And as far as Job could see, they were probably looking good on the outside, but you never know what's happening in here. I've watched people who they did right all of the life of their parents because they respected them and they didn't want to disappoint them. And then when their parents died, they went a different way. You know why they did that? Because it was always in their heart. You ought to do right because it's in your heart. Because you want to do right. Because it pleases God. Thank God for the parents here, but I'm telling you today, you need to be careful. Don't, don't, don't have too much confidence that they're going to serve God. I'm not saying... I realized when they were 17, it was the greatest battle of their life. And I'm going to tell you what parents will do a lot of times. They'll unloose the ropes at 17. They'll start the pressure, the satanic pressure. I know what time it is, but I'm not no I'm not even interested. And getting done right now. I'm interested in what God told me to preach. But I'm telling you, I have watched parents when they would get about 17 years old, they would say, "You know what? Let's just, you know, we're not gonna, I'm gonna turn them loose. But let's just, let's don't, let's kind of let go of the restraints a little bit because we see them struggling. We love them, and we want to just. I'm going to tell you something. You will lose your kids if you let them go. you got to pull it tight. You better have some convictions. And don't ever start something that you've got to stop when they get older. Is that right? I'm telling you, if it, don't start something at two or one that when they get older, you got to say, well, now you can't do that no more. No. If they're not going to be able to do it when they're older, don't start it when they're younger. Amen. It's confusing to a child when you tell them they can when they're little and they can't when they're You said well, what if I already started something I shouldn't have preacher be honest greatest thing I ever did for my children was to tell them I'm sorry right. set them down so you ever had to tell your kids you're sorry a lot of times one of them's here somewhere she'll testify I hope she don't <laughs> you know why I used to it's shame me to have to tell my children I'm sorry Then I realized something one day. I realized that the two words you never hear hardly in a Baptist church anymore is I'm sorry. You know why our altars don't fill up like they used to and why people don't get right with God? We're living in a generation that is coming on. There's already one generation come through. But there's another generation coming up. They've never been taught to say I'm sorry. They sweep it under the rug, friend. They've been told all kinds of other things. I'm telling you, I can remember as a child, my mother and father say, you're going to say you're sorry, I'm going to whip you again. Somebody say amen. And they meant what they said. And I had to say I was sorry. And I tell you, I thank God for that. Because there's people today, I'll see them come to the altar and they'll play all kinds of games with God. They'll never say they're sorry. They'll blame it on somebody in their life. They'll blame it on their troubles. They'll blame it on their past. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody's got a past, amen? Amen. They'll blame it on this or that. I'm going to tell you, you get nowhere pointing a finger unless you turn that finger around right here. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And I think it does children good when you have done wrong to say, I'm sorry. I whipped you. You should have got a whipping, but it was a wrong spirit. Amen. I'm sorry I gave you that cell phone because you're not old enough to handle it. I'm sorry I, I let you watch that television program because it's not godly. I'm sorry. It'd be good for them to hear that. That's humility. You, how many, You don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many parents here this morning you say, I want my children to be humble. If the answer to that question is yes, then they've got to see that. And who better to see it in than their mother and their father? You have more influence on your children than any preacher that'll ever stand in any pulpit. And that'll either be for the good or that'll be for the bad. That choice is up to you this morning. I'm talking about this morning. It involves sanctification. It involves sobriety. Job faced this fact. Look at me. He faced this fact this morning that the next casualty could be one of his own children. You think about that. What if the next teen pregnancy is sitting in this church this morning. What if the next young man perverted into all kinds of sin is sitting right here this morning? And if you've drifted in that, you you ought to get right with God, get right with you, go to your parents, confess it, and ask them for help this morning. What if that's the next thing? You saw a preacher, that's that's too far. I'm going to tell you something. It's not. I've watched people. I've wept with them in the office downstairs. The sins some get victory and some never do i talking about you all pray for them the last thing it involves notice in that verse is steadfastness look what the Bible says there it said thus did Job continually I tell you this morning there's a lot of things I could say but I'm not going to except to say this what Job does in verse 5 is not something Job did when a crisis came in his life in fact, what separates the first five verses that we've read from the entire book of Job is that Job has no trials in these verses. Everything's going great. Ten children, healthy. All kinds of camels and household. Greatest man in the East. Do you know what? He still prayed for him. Just because things were going good doesn't mean he let up praying. I tell you this morning, you all to train your children. You all to, to put the principles of the Word of God. I'm not minimizing anything when I make this statement. But I tell you, if there's anything you ought to do as a parent and that I ought to do, we ought to pray for them every day. And I want to tell you, Mom and Dad, if you're not living right, if you're not living where God wants you to live at, your prayers are in vain. Now You think about that. Brother Gravely, I just, you know, all that tight preaching all the time, I get tired of that. You can go somewhere where it's looser. You can go somewhere and you can play the game, friend. You can have the time of your life. But I'm gonna tell you when the crisis comes and a rubber meets the road and it comes time to get on your knees, I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna need to get a prayer through. And a little, a little pat me on the head sermon, a little play church on Sunday morning is not going to be enough Amen. to pray for your kids. Amen. Preacher, you think you're holier than thou, not one bit. God knows. God knows. But I'm telling you this morning, your children is the greatest gift God ever gave you outside your salvation and your spouse this morning. Your children. What a gift. What a gift. You think about the Tarvins. You think about. You think about what they faced, what they've been through. You think about that daughter. You think about them three children in that fire. Oh, we know they're in a better place. Yeah. But I'm gonna tell you everything I got, everything I own, could burn to the ground this morning. You, know, you can go get more of that stuff. But you can't replace him. You can't replace one of them this morning. Better live right, parents. God help us as we stand this morning.